Welcome to the He Shoots, He Draws podcast, the show about photography and design, with your hosts, Glyn Dewis and Dave Clayton. Hello and welcome back to a new episode of He Shoots, He Draws. I'm flying solo this week. I'm Dave Clayton. Usually I'll be joined by my co-host and best mate, Glyn Dewis. But uh, Glyn's been out and about. He's been teaching at Photoshop World in Las Vegas the past week and doing a lot of work with his 3945 project. So we've been trying to fit in some guests here and there, but we decided to take a couple of weeks off in August just to kind of catch up and line up some guests. So in that break, I took the opportunity to chat to an old friend of ours, a friend of the show. We've known him since, well, I've known him since 2010. His name's Alan Hess. He was actually the first guest we ever had on He Shoots, He Draws which was episode number four now for this episode we would normally go and conduct a second episode in person that's kind of the rule of the show but this interview wasn't really about alan this was about comic-con now why comic-con well alan actually shoots for fox and hasbro at comic-con and has done so for the past few years now he's been going for quite some time he's a big comic book fan you'll hear all about us in the interview but I just wanted to talk to him about his experience, like how did he get the gig, what does the role entail, what kind of highlights he has, the gear that he uses, how does he manage like four days back to back of shooting this show and all the things that go on with it. So um, Alan explains it all in the episode. Now we've got some great new guests lined up over the coming weeks. Now that we're back, we should be back on the 1st of September with a new lineup and some new partners. So we'll be talking about that in that episode, but we're really excited about that because these are people we know and like and products we use. So really without me waffling on too much, uh, we'll get into the episode and hopefully you'll join us again next week. Uh, We've got some great, like I said, we've got some great new guests coming up and also there'll be an episode with me and Glyn catching up because we haven't had a chat for quite some time. So um, look out for that. Uh, If you've got any comments, leave them on He Shoots, He Draws on social media or heshootshedraws.com or you can email us at podcast at heshootshedraws.com. So that's enough for me. Let's jump into the episode and see you next time. Okay, so here we are this week with a good old friend of ours, Alan Hess, who I've known since 2010. I've known of you since before 2010, but we met in 2010 at Photoshop World in an elevator. It's like a a romantic story (laughs) that I'm sure will get made by Netflix one day, but (laughs) we're back with Alan. Uh, we, We first interviewed Alan in episode four. Of uh, you were our first ever guest on He Shoots He Draws, and it was an honour to have you as that. Um, but I wanted to get you back on because I wanted to talk to you about something specific. Now, unbeknown to our viewers, <laughs> we don't normally rehearse um, or have a run <laughs> run through of these episodes. But for full transparency, just to show that things don't always go right, this is the third attempt at doing this interview. And when I say third attempt, we've recorded two whole episodes of the same episode already. And we had some issues with the audio. The first time was kind of, should have picked it up at the beginning because I thought the recording would come out better than what I was hearing it and it didn't. And then the second time it sounded much better. But again, there was a problem. And And we've always said on the show, we want the best audio to make the guests sound the best possible. And we just thought... Let's just record it a third time. Let's make it really good. So, in theory, this episode with Alan should be one of the best, 
cleanest, sharpest <laughs> interviews we've ever done with a guest. Isn't that right, Alan? Right, no pressure at all. <laughs> so, so to the point, Alan has even gone out and purchased a brand new microphone setup just so that we can get this right. Obviously, not just for tonight because that would be like that would be hardcore for the, for HSHD, but. Um, I, I now have a new microphone in my office that hopefully sounds a lot better than the previous one, which which seemed to be having lots of issues all the time. Yeah, it's you, you've got rich, rich, mellow sounds. <laughs> so the reason why I wanted Alan on is Alan shoots at San Diego Comic-Con, which if you don't know what that is, then you have been living on Mars for the past 30 years but it is the hugest biggest film tv comic uh convention held in san diego um and alan's most recently been one of the like head photographers for a couple of the franchises i guess which you you can talk about but because it was so kind of fresh and recent i wanted to talk about it because it's one of those gigs that whenever i mention san diego comic con to people who like that kind of thing they get really animated excited um in fact we've been talking to a potential sponsor and i'm going to mention her by name because i'm sure she'll appreciate but her name's tally and when we first started chatting she's a big marvel superhero comic con cosplay everything and I told her I was interviewing you and she was really excited and she really wants to go next year. So I'm going to give her a mention. But um, yeah, tonight what we're going to do is we're going to go through kind of Alan's beginning with Comic-Con and just talk about the process of, you know, how he started there, what he does now, what the, you know, the, what comes with that job and, and just a little bit about Comic-Con along the way. So before we do, just in case you don't know who Alan is... I'm just going to do a, a very quick, Alan, who are you? Tell everyone, like in a nutshell, who you are first. Uh, I'm, I'm a husband. I'm, uh, I have two dogs, no kids. Uh, I'm a photographer. And I'm a massive comic book geek. I, I got introduced to Comic-Con back in 1984 when I was in high school. Um, it was through a, a girl I was dating. One of her friends was very much into the whole costume and cosplay side of of world. I, I had no idea what that was or anything about it. But somehow they convinced me to dress up um, as a six-foot elf as part of the uh, Elf Quest cast. And we went to San Diego Comic-Con and took part in their uh, masquerade, um, which is... An event they still have uh, on Saturday nights where people go dressed as their favorite cartoon, comic book, anime, TV characters, and they have a competition. And uh, in 1984, the group of us that went as ElfQuest won the group masquerade. Um, both probably. It's like an episode of The Big Bang Theory. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually photographed the Big Bang Theory cast in Comic Con. Um, and I got hooked immediately. Uh, back then, I thought this was the coolest event, um, you know, that I'd ever been to. Uh, comic books, um, movies, TVs, uh, you know, everything, everything pop culture in in one room. But what you got to you got to remember back in um, back in in 1984, the uh, Comic Con was held at the Hotel San Diego at the current convention center, and there was about five thousand people who went. So pretty big, you know, a nice crowd, uh, you know, kind of a kind of a big 
convention. Um, it started in 19, I think 69. It was out, it was the 50th anniversary back then. I think, I think, wow. the, I think that year there was about 150 people. So 1984 had grown to about 5,500 people. Um, this last year, 2019, uh, the numbers are somewhere at 135,000 people. So it has grown every year by leaps and bounds. Um, and it really took off when uh, Hollywood found Comic-Con. And they realized that if they came and brought their stars and their movie trailers and stuff to San Diego during this uh, four-day event, they could really get some decent feedback and some uh, social media, you know, hype for their movies. Exposure, Exposure. yeah. You've got the the diehard fans who will wait in line for a day to see a preview of a movie that's not coming out for six months and then will go tell all their friends on, you know, MySpace about it. And, you know, now it's Facebook and Instagram and uh, all the other social media and YouTube. So... When Hollywood came in, Comic-Con kind of exploded and it became much more about uh, popular culture as a whole as opposed to just comic books. There's still a lot of comic books and there's still a lot of comic book creators, but as a whole, because comics have become so mainstream um, with, you know, Marvel Universe and, and Endgame being the highest grossing movie of all time kind of thing. Um, it's yeah. become much more of a, of a general thing. Um, so back in 84 then, obviously, I mean, I didn't realize, I hadn't realized it started as far back as 1969. But obviously going back to the early 80s, 84, I mean, what kind of guests were you getting? What, what you know, what would have been the big name of the time? Would it have been more on the comic book side than anything else? Yeah, it was uh, it was mainly authors and and um, artists in the comic book in the comic book uh, uh, industry. Um, I know that back in eighty, I think it was eighty five or eighty six, uh, we had Frank Miller who was doing the Batman Dark Knight series. We had Alan Moore who you know it was like only time he ever came to America. He did Watchmen. Um, there was also a lot of the people who you know you'd recognize on the the mastheads of comics, the people who ran DC, um, Jerry Siegel, uh, Walt Simonson. You know these were just the the tom cruise was not the was not we're not actors weren't the big names anymore i mean this last year you know everyone got really excited because uh tom cruise was walking around on the floor um back then harlan ellison uh science fiction writers um there's there's a there's a huge list somewhere on online about all the guests that have ever been at comic-con it's quite an interesting uh you know see who came from um the comic industry so when did you see the shift go from because obviously we will talk about your comic book history because we'll talk about how you got into Comic-Con later on. But where did you, when did you see the shift? I mean, where did it start to turn into more of the pop culture thing? Was it, was it still the 80s or was it more in the 90s or even as late as, you know, late 90s to early 2000s? It really seemed to explode kind of in the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, at least by the, at least the numbers. Uh, it, it's it's very difficult for me to, to think back on a certain year because I've gone to, I've, I've done Comic-Con nearly every single year since 1984. So I've done 30-something Comic-Cons and they tend to blur together in, in groups. Yeah. So I, I remember um, the one year where Twilight came out as a movie and I, I'll for all disclosure, I've never seen Twilight. I've never seen any of the Twilight movies. Me neither. <laughs> I have photographed the cast and I've met a bunch of them. But the, there was a year where Twilight was doing a 
something at Comic-Con and people started lining up for a, I think it was a Friday or a Thursday panel. They started lining up on the Sunday beforehand. So they, wow. they camped out for four or five days to, to be able to go into a room with 6,000 people to see a Twilight panel. And at that point, when you're watching this on the news, you're like, holy moly, Comic-Con has jumped the shark. There was like this Hollywood <laughs> has taken over and, you know, this is, this is a crazy number of people. And since then, it seems like every year the numbers get bigger and bigger and bigger. I, I did a little research. I looked up because we were, I knew we were going to talk about it and I couldn't figure out off the top of my head. But I think the biggest number was in 2015, um, they... The total attendance was 167,000, um, which wow. was a. And we thought Adobe Max was big. Yeah. No, this it's is like it's 15, 16,000. Yeah. At, at 167,000 over the, over the four days of, of the convention, everything downtown San Diego is basically a Comic Con. It's no longer just in the convention center. It takes over the hotels next to it. It takes over the Petco Park. It takes over the, all the hotels and the surrounding areas. They do stuff in the ballrooms. They did stuff at the library. Um, pretty much all of downtown for a week becomes a mecca for comic book and popular culture people. Um, even the trolleys yeah. that run around san diego are wrapped in tv shows and you know movie movie stuff you yeah the signs were changed to cling on 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 half the trolley stops they you know they do this this entire immersive thing downtown and one hundred and sixty seven thousand people and it seems like about a hundred thousand of them are coming costume um all come down to san diego to um go to comic-con which brings me to the question i get Probably the most often when people realize they go to Comic-Con every year, they go, how do you get a ticket to Comic-Con? Before you explain that, before you explain that, I've got one question. Uh, and we will and we'll come, into, we will come into it later on. Is You were obviously attending from 84. Without going too deep into, into this answer, what was the first year you kind of really thought... I'm taking a good. I'm taking my camera with me. I. That's a. That's a good question. Um. It was probably uh, 2002. It's. Probably, oh, as late as yeah, that. Late, yeah. I used to because in the in the past, and this is a lot of people now don't think about too much. But in the past, taking pictures cost money. I had True, to buy yeah. film, and then I'd have to develop the film. And I wasn't. That, I, I never really thought of it as a career when I started out. It was just. It was something that I did. I, I shot music. I, I you know did that kind of stuff. Um, but when I was doing film, it was like I didn't take a lot of pictures just for me. I took one or two, but I didn't want to carry around all that stuff all the time. So um, oh, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. So there's there's probably a few years before then when I when I shot a couple the rolls of slide film and they're sitting probably in the garage in a box somewhere and I go find it um, because I shot a lot of print and slide film before digital but when I really started Comic Con and shooting it really became a lot easier when I was you know had a digital camera and I could take two memory cards worth of images and most of them were crap and so I could (laughs) throw them away and not come (laughs) up with it and um, I still keep everything on a on a you know, big back backup hard drive. Um, so if I look at what I shot for Comic Con, and um, I go and I look at you know this last year, probably between me and the team that shot for me, you know, there's probably ten, fifteen thousand images between all the different clients. And I go back to 2002, I probably shot a hundred images. And the, yeah. and the most famous you know image or person I shot was probably Kevin Smith as a you know in a blurry uh, probably badly lit room. Yeah, badly lit <laughs> room, and you know in uh, around, but um, uh, or maybe it was 2002 
2000, I'm going to say 2002, 2004, somewhere in there. That was the start of when I started taking my camera. Um, so chances are that the first year I probably shot 100 images and uh, okay. most of them are, are, were, were terrible and I wouldn't show them now if if I had to no. unless it was, you know, some no. kind of class. But it, but it really ramped up. The minute I realized that um, I could take my camera with me and there was no, you didn't have to have any kind of... Uh, credential to photograph stuff at comic-con i started photographing which is rare as well but like you said they want everyone talking about it they want the pictures out on social media it's free advertising so the big question then alan how do you get a ticket for for san diego comic-con so easily (laughs) well it's not easy anymore it it used to be when i when i started going you used to be able to walk up um to the convention any day that it was running and you could buy a ticket for that day at at the venue um and, and walk in and, and do Comic-Con. Nowadays, you have to sign up online um, months ahead of time. Um, so if you're talking about Comic-Con 2020, you'd probably want to go onto their website now. You would want to uh, set up a Comic-Con account so that they know that you're there and that you're interested in the ticket. And when the tickets go on sale in January, it's like uh, trying to get tickets to a sold-out concert. Um, they go online and they sell out within a couple hours. Um, which is unbelievable uh, amount of, of tickets being sold. Uh, and the thing is, this a, a four day ticket. Um, so it runs Wednesday, it runs Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday with a preview night on Wednesday night. And they they sell a limited number of tickets with the preview night. And then most of the uh, general attendee tickets are either one day tickets for e- any of the days or a four day. A package, and I think the forty-eight package is two hundred and fifty dollars, two hundred and sixty dollars, something like that. That's still quite reasonable, really. For all right, you're not going to get guaranteed entry to a ton of stuff, but it's going to get you in the door, and then obviously you've got to do the queuing and the lotteries and whatever they do for right. things. But I think overall, fifty pound, you know, fifty pound or fifty dollars a day is actually quite reasonable yeah. because the Comic Con, you know, the kind of smaller scale Comic Cons they do around London uh, or around the UK that those tickets can be like 30 40 pounds just to get in for a day and then they do all like these vip packages where you're guaranteed to meet an a-list celebrity or you can get like two signed photos you can go to three talks you can do the whole i only know this because i was looking at star trek destination for um for nec three days before i leave for adobe max uh so i'm looking at a one-day ticket to go up and do star trek that but i'm just going to buy like the basic ticket and like you said just walk around and if if an opportunity comes up to go into something i'll do it i mean they got a lot of the cast there but yeah i'm sure like with comic-con is it is so vast you will never get to see all of it so you've got to pick pick the bits you want to see it's it's physically impossible to see everything that's going on at comic-con because there's um there's two different sides to it there's the expo floor which is a giant the whole bottom start uh, part of the san diego convention center that has booths by um mattel hasbro uh, star wars star trek um marvel dc you know all the big names have their booths and then they have an artist alley there where uh up-and-coming artists and really well-established comic artists have tables where you can meet them and they have their wares you know you can have commissions done you can buy artwork you can buy prints they have a small press area they have an area that is mostly uh, dedicated to gaming they have uh, t-shirts they have adobe's there um wacom is there i mean everyone who's involved 
any way in the creation of comic books or popular culture is is there on the expo floor and you can walk around that you don't need an extra ticket you don't need anything else you just need to yeah. have your comic con credential and you can walk around that for four days and it, it could take you four days to actually do the whole expo floor if you if you went to every booth and looked at everything there that could you could spend your whole time yeah and it's a big venue isn't it because it's like it's really wide. Yeah. I know I went, I went to Adobe Max there and, you know, it seemed pretty big at the time, but I can't even begin to imagine how much more busy that that place is when it's completely full. Yeah, I think Adobe Max, when it was there, I think there was less than 10,000 attendees. So, yeah, you know, think about that time, you know, think about that times, times, 10, times 10, times 16. Times 16. Yeah, it was, there's a lot of people. So that, that happens on the expo floor and there's also a lot of stuff that happens like outside of the convention the other side of it is they have the panels so these the panels are rooms where people tell you what's gonna gonna happen so they're literally guys sitting at a at a desk or at a table and talking to a room full of people and this could be 50 people in a room learning about the upcoming japanese um, manga comic book or it can be a room with 6,500 people and marvel phase four universe movie announcements are being made so it ranges from you know a couple a couple of people. I've I've been in rooms where there's been ten or fifteen people to rooms with sixty five hundred people. Um, but they happen. There's probably forty or fifty different panels happening at the same time every day. Thursday, yeah. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, from <clears throat> eight in the morning till seven at night every single day. So you you get to decide what you want to do and where you want to go. Um, with that being said, a lot of times if you want to go see a panel, uh, I remember years ago. So I this is before I was working officially for anyone, but I was doing some wire service photography. And on the Sunday, there was going to be a panel um, for Doctor Who. Uh, with David Tennant as the 10th Doctor and I was like oh man I you know I love that show and I really want to go to that panel but it was in the middle it was in Ballroom 20 it was in the middle of a series of panels it was Sons of Anarchy uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia Doctor Who um, Supernatural and uh, American Dad and I got down to the convention center at 4 o'clock in the morning on Sunday and I stood in line from 4 o'clock in the morning until when they opened the doors at I think it was 8.30 so I stood around for four and a half hours in a line that went all the way around the back of the convention center, down the stairs in the back of the convention center to the Embarcadero South area that was um, where they now have concerts and, and things. And we stood in line for four and a half hours. And once I was in the panel room, even though the Doctor Who one was only coming up in the afternoon, I sat in that room all day long and watched and photographed all the other panels. And I actually, it was great. I got a chance to photograph people that I never would have had a shot at. Some, yeah, of, yeah. some of the pictures that I've sold the most over the years of my life were like the supernatural panels. For some reason, those two guys sell a lot of pictures and people love them. But um, I, I got up early in the morning and stood in line for oh, four and a half hours to get into a room. People now line up the night before to get into into one of these rooms. Yeah. So um, you can do anything you want at Comic-Con, but you will stand in line for a lot of those a lot of those panels. And while I'm doing that, I'm obviously, I can't go down to the expo floor or I can't go to a different panel. So um, yeah, no one can do everything. So that, that's the other side of it. There's one side is the expo floor and the other side is the panels. And then as a press person, there's also uh, press rooms. And um, that's something we'll cover when we talk about actually photographing it because I I worked in some of those press rooms before, and that's a really weird side right. part of Comic Con. We'll come to that then. So you're so going back to the the ticket side of things. Obviously, we were talking about how to get in, but it was your comic book background that actually got you kind of your first 
uh, like ab- above public pass. <laughs> you were no longer riffraff. <laughs> I don't have to. Um, I don't have to go into the lottery and get a general uh, attendee pass. Um, years ago. Many, many years ago when I first started this, I, I some of my friends uh, worked with some guys who were in the comic industry. Just uh, one of them was a designer um, and he'd also done some coloring for DC Comics. And I met him and we became friends. He introduced me to some other people and I ended up uh, doing some of the pre-production work on comic books in Photoshop. So other than my photography background, I'm actually pretty good in, um, in Photoshop, especially with some certain tools. And so I worked with a bunch of the... Uh, um, DC colorists, the guys who actually add the colors to the images, and they taught me how to do flatting, which is putting the flat colors into the comic book art before they come in and put in the real colors. So we'll get a we'll get a page from Justice League of Superman and Batman, and I'll make Batman's costume pink and yellow, and I'll make Superman you know green and blue, and just so that the colors are where they're supposed, just so that there are color blotches where they're supposed to be, and then the real guy comes in and changes the colors to the Pantone, you know what Superman's uniform really is, and then they add the shading and all the stuff to make it look uh, like you would want to see the real art. Um, but it was a really fascinating experience and I did that for years. So I got to be, and I still do it actually to this day. I don't do as much of it as I used to, but I still do it every year to keep up my professional credential for Comic-Con. Um, okay. so as a professional who works in the comic industry, I am guaranteed a Comic-Con pass, which is a fantastic perk to the job, especially if you live in San Diego and you don't have to get a hotel room or travel to go to Comic-Con. Um, true, true. So every year they announce the professional registration. Um, every three years I have to send them a letter from one of the people I work with on company letterhead that shows what I worked on, how I worked, what I do in the industry. Um, and then I get approved or, you know, they ask for uh, additional work to, to make sure that I'm, I'm actually working in the comic book industry. Mm-hmm. And every year I get a professional pass. I used to also apply for a um, press pass. And for many years they would, because uh, I worked for a service that was under assignment to do Comic-Con, they would give me a press pass as well. Uh, about four or five years ago, they sent me an email saying, listen, we understand you're the same guy. You're the Alan Hess professional and you're the Alan Hess press. From now on, please just pick one. <laughs> so I can, because they don't, you know, the passes are very limited. And for me to have two passes when I was only using one was, um, was not right. So I, I was fine with that. And I gave up the press credentials because um, the pro one is, is easier for me to do and get. And every year I do work with comic book uh, colorists, um, Dave Barron and Alex Sinclair and my, my buddy Alan Pasolacqua. And these are guys who are working in the industry and who I still work with. Uh, on a side note, for the Photoshop user magazine folks, if you go back a couple of years, there's actually a cover story in one of the Photoshop user magazines on comic book coloring and, and flatting that I wrote with uh, my buddy David. Um, he did the colors. I did the I did the writing part of it. So I'm going to see if I can find that on the on the archive, and, and we'll put a link to that. So so you, we've got up to this point. You've got a pass. You are now you are now at the point where when and how did you first get hired to shoot professionally i started um i had done some some work outside of comic con just as a general photographer and i was working for a small wire service and one of uh their editors uh mentioned the fact that if i was around and i was you know was shooting comic con they're looking for people f- you know, for certain panels and certain cast members and certain, uh, at the time it was networks. Um, and I, I jumped at the chance. I was like, Oh, that sounds great. I can go to Comic-Con and I can get work out of it and I can maybe even get paid from it. And, uh, you know, and, and, 
I can go into those secret press rooms that they have that, you know, you used to see when you're walking by as an attendee, <laughs> you'd see a sign in front of a door that says, you know, credentialed media only. And, you know, you'd be like, what's going on in that room? Because I, you know, uh, there's something in my brain that looks at a closed door and, and my f- initial reaction, especially when it says keep out, is to open the door and look inside. But so I, I, I jumped to the chance and they would assign me, um, they started assigning me uh panels to go and, and photograph. So I did some stuff for the TV show Psych and um, Burn Notice and a bunch of stuff on USA Network. And at the same time, um, because I was now credentialed press, I was allowed to go and do some of the other press lines they had. So I actually did take some photographs of the uh, Twilight cast. And um, the reality was that I had no idea what I was doing. And most of the pictures are absolutely terrible. But I at the time, I thought they were fantastic because they were famous people in front of my camera. And I thought it was, you know, I was really just, I, I was so excited. Um, and, and some of them, I mean, there's not, not all of them were terrible, but it really took a couple of years for me to understand what I was doing and what I was looking for and the story that I was trying to tell with those pictures. So some of them were really bad up front. But suddenly I'm standing in a room with the cast of The Expendables and, and there's Sylvester Stallone and Dolph Lundgren and, you know, action movie stars that I'd grown up watching and they're in front of my camera and I'm taking pictures and it was a, it was a huge rush. It was, uh, it, it was probably, um, it was probably the most exciting part of it for me at the time. And, uh, that excitement resulted in me taking some terrible pictures, um, <laughs> out of focus, badly composed. I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, but you got to learn somewhere and you got to learn somehow. So that was, that was kind of the start. of. And if you're you know, going to learn how, I do it with Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, you know, uh, and the reality was that because my pictures were really not as good as some of the other photographers there doing it. And because it was a wire service, um, I didn't earn any money from it. I, you know, I'd be lucky if a, if a shot made it out of editing, um, or was even posted, but, but I learned and I got better. And, uh, a couple of years later, um, as I'd been doing this for a couple of years on my own, uh, I, a friend of mine, uh, introduced me to the guy who was running the photo team for Fox and, um, they were 20th century Fox plus, uh, Fox TV plus FX. Um, and so I started photographing press rooms and panels and uh, booth signings for Fox. And the booth signings are where I really uh, started having a lot of fun. So what happens is that a cast from a TV show will come in and they'll do a press room where you all just take pictures of them against a nice backdrop. And then they'll sit down at tables and do interviews with uh, Entertainment Tonight or Entertainment Weekly or the local yeah. news. And they just, you know, it's, it's the stuff that you see on the TV later on. Then they go and do their panel where they're all set up and they talk about the new episodes that are coming out or the season that just finished or, you know, what's up for the show, who's who's going on they take questions from the audience it's you know a lot of heads up there and then a lot of them uh, especially for the fox and fx they would then go down to the expo floor and at the fox booth on the expo floor they would sit down at the booth and they would have people come up and get uh, a poster signed by the cast which is absolutely the most chaotic experience you could possibly have as a photographer because there's I no bet. space to move. Everyone's at a table. There's people walking around behind them, in front of them, people coming in in costumes. And yet you're sitting there trying to get a clean shot of some TV movie star signing the poster to to the person. And uh, it turned yeah. out that I really loved the energy that happens on the expo floor. I mean, I really kind of – this was down with the real fans and the geeks and the and the people who, who would stand in line for hours just to, you know, spend 30 seconds getting their hand – you know, a handshake and a, and a poster sign. And, and the only moment they probably ever get to meet a hero, like a movie, a movie star hero, is to get that – have that brief moment that – 
so I mean I remember not to go off but I remember meeting um Christopher Lloyd and I'd paid like 40 quid as part of my ticket to go in and um, it's to my right actually I've got the picture on my notice board uh Chris Lloyd sat in a DeLorean I literally I, I walked in I knelt down shook his hand they took the photograph I said hi didn't even get his autograph you just get a photograph and then you walk out and that was just a conveyor belt and you know short people tall people kids and like you said you the energy of one minute you've got you know comic book guy from the simpsons effectively walking in to get you know to get the the complete poster signed and then you've got you know a kid dressed as wonder woman who wants to meet gal gadot or uh, obviously you don't cover them but that kind of thing those are the photographs that the ones you see on instagram and social and in entertainment weekly because they're the cool photos so i'm sure you have to have your wits about you and just get your timing right to, to get that the grin and get the smile or the look or the hug and you don't get a lot of you don't get a lot of second chances um with this happen it's like it is a conveyor belt they try to uh limit the number of people who can come and get stuff signed so again up until a few years ago what happened is that if you wanted to get um uh we've got the cast of um let's say oh what's a good one that that would be really popular the simpsons so yeah they're they're comic book legends i mean matt goering has been around forever the simpsons is a staple of american culture (laughs) i think matt i think if you if bart its real age would be somewhere in his 50s by now or something you know it's um so every year um they're going to do a signing uh he's going to come into the booth because of the simpsons tv show and so what would happen is the morning that that was going to happen so it's going to be on saturday at at one o'clock that morning people would line up outside uh at the sales pavilion which is an area of the convention they would then have a lottery to see how many people would be able to be in line to get the poster signed by matt and whoever comes whoever else comes from the cast of the simpsons and they would draw 50 100 tickets and that's that's it and you take the ticket and then at one o'clock you line up and they take the ticket from you and you get your stuff signed so it was not just you couldn't just decide it at 12 30 like i'm going to go to a simpsons signing and hope that for the best you had to really plan your day out ahead of time so that people who were big fans would be able to actually get um tickets to get stuff signed that they want to do you got to remember they're signing he's signing 50 posters and there's 135,000 people there so it's the, the amount that's actually being signed and going through the line is really, really small. Uh, recently, Comic-Con has changed that system where you can actually now apply online for a lottery system. It works the same way, but you can do, you don't have to go there at, at four o'clock in the morning anymore. You can now do it um, online before you ever go and you find out if you're going to get an exclusive signing or, and the same thing happens if you want to buy an exclusive toy or if you want to get something from the Hasbro booth or you, you know, you want to get a Lego toy or something, you sign up for the exclusives and you get to decide which ones you really want and which ones uh, you hope you win. And then you go and do this. The fun part about it is if you think about all the energy and excitement that someone has now spent two weeks, they've got their Comic-Con credential, they know they're going, they've put in to get the exclusive Simpsons poster signed at the Fox booth, and now they've won. 
they've got their ticket to go and do it, they're very excited. So you're dealing with this excitement as you're coming through. And um, and again, I'll use I'll use Matt as an example. He personalized every single poster that someone in front of him has. So he takes a few minutes to speak to everyone. He asks them what character they want drawn. He draws the character on the poster. Um, the rest of the cast is there. They all sign the poster and everyone, you know, and I try to take photographs of all this happening so that when people look at it online, they want to come and do it next year. When my goal is that when people see it, they're like, oh, that's really great. Yeah, so he signs every poster. He personalizes every poster. So the excitement that happens down when this is going on is, is really very palatable. You can you can feel the fans, uh, their excitement. You And my job is to capture that and then have the pictures, they, they go to Fox and then Fox puts them out on their newswire and then people see them and people get excited about Comic-Con, what happened, they get excited about the show and it's publicity. So a couple of years ago when I started doing this, I started telling uh, the people that I work with for at Fox and, and photographies that I would rather shoot um, down on the floor and do all the signings and stay out of the press rooms and the panels. Now, I still once in a while, I get assigned a panel and I go photograph it, especially for the Hasbro get to that in a minute. Um, but for Fox, I tend to stay down on the expo floor and just shoot the the booth signings. Signing, yeah. And what happened with that, and this is something that I do with my concert photography as well, is I became uh, very good friends with the security team that works in the booth. I became very good friends with the people who run the booth. Uh, every year, it seems to be the same. Uh, some of the some of the people who help out are different, but the same people actually run the booth. They run the technical side uh, and run the booth. And, and because I worked with them over and over and over again on the signings in the booth, uh, it became a lot easier for me to get the cast where I needed them to do to do a shot. It became yeah. you're one less person to to worry about as well. It's like this guy knows what he's doing. We don't have to watch him and see what he's up to. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so what we do now is we have a, a really cool um, plan in place every time we have a cast come in. And so what happens is they get escorted into the booth by the, the biggest security guys you've ever seen in your life. They come in through the back of the convention center. They walk down the aisles. Everyone blocks the way. They come into the booth. And before they even sit down and do some, you know, do any signings or get their water or tea or coffee, I have them line up again in the booth as a group and we take a group shot. We try to get a, a cast group uh, photo right off the bat. And this is where the security and the people in the booth really help me out because they know that this is what I want to do. So they line them up before they even let them sit down. And we get a nice group shot of the cast. Then they sit down in their chairs. They get ready to sign. And I go through the line first before anyone else goes through. They usually, the, the studios usually want a couple of posters signed for the studios to have to be able to give away later for uh prosperity for studio heads for stuff so i usually take the very first poster and i go through the line and i have the cast member wherever it is sign the poster and then look up at me while they're holding the pen and i take a i take a shot of each of those and we walk down the entire cast and then at the end i used to turn around and give the poster back to the studio and go and edit my pictures uh nowadays i keep the poster because i go and actually photograph the signed poster and then usually i take that poster home and i give it away to, to friends or people who weren't there it's perk of the job perk of the job perk of the job yeah and i know you've i know you've grabbed me a couple of the posters before now and i've, I've not not necessarily signed but you picked up a couple of the the posters for me in the past which which is brilliant because i i won't be able to get them but didn't you have an instance issue with um 
Oh, some guy from Family Guy and, and the audience. Yes. <laughs> Alan, the, Alan, the art director, had to step in and uh, put someone in their place. Yeah, it was. Uh, we were um, we were waiting for the cast of the cast of the Orville uh, to come in for their signing on. Uh, I think that was on Saturday afternoon and um, Saturday evening, and uh, they were early, so I wasn't paying. It. I was standing at the booth, and we were set up for them to come in. But I was talking to a friend of mine, and. I had my back to the booth. As I'm talking to him, he's looking at me and he goes, hey, isn't that Seth MacFarlane? And I turn around and um, Seth was sitting down already in his seat, like getting ready to like start signing stuff. There was no one around him. And I see the rest of the cast is coming in the booth. So I, I turn around and, I, and I, I tell Seth, I didn't even think about it. I turn around and I go, oh no, you can't sit down yet. You have to get up and stand over there. We're going to take a group shot. And he just looked at me <laughs> and he got up and he went and stood over there and he just kind of like stared at me for a few seconds. And then the rest of the cast started coming in and I started organizing them and security was around and we got the group shot. But in the back of my head, I was like, oh man, I, I just made Seth get up and go stand over there. And uh, I felt kind of weird about it, but I was really happy it happened because he had to go off to a different interview before that signing officially ended. So we never would have got the group shot at the end of the signing um, had I waited and said, okay, no, we'll just get it at the end. That never would have happened. So yeah, you're doing a job, they're doing a job and you've got to make the whole thing work for everybody because like you say, you've got a studio behind you and obviously you shoot for Hasbro as well as Fox. So that's the toy side. Yeah, I've been in Fox for, for years um, and I'm part of a team at Fox. So I'm just one of the photographers as part of the team. There's a guy who covers the panels. There's a guy who covers the outside stuff. There's a guy who covers the press rooms. Um, I do the booth signings now and that's about all I do for Fox, which is great. And I love it that way. Um, and when I'm done, with, when I shoot the photos, I hand my, my memory card off to a runner who takes it off to the Fox editors and I don't ever have to deal with it. That's one of my jobs. It's, it's great um, for the technical people out there. I I shoot uh, JPEGs, large JPEGs, and they get handed off and off they go. And I never see them again. They do all the editing. They do all the posting. They do all the metadata. Um, and then they come and give me back my old card and take the next one. And and I'm, I'm good. So do you give them... You're obviously, when you're shooting, you're shooting with a camera that's got two yeah. memory card slots. So you're giving one of the slots to them, but you're keeping one. Well, what I do is, yeah, the, I, I have both my cameras, all my cameras that I use. Um, right now, it's a Nikon D750 and a D850. So I, um, I use those. They both have uh, two card slots. And what I do is I send raw images to the first card and JPEGs to the second card, and I hand off the JPEGs. And the reason I do that is just to cover my own ass um if i go home and there's an image i really want or the color's terrible i have the raw image saved on the card and it doesn't take any extra time or effort or energy on my part so i just have the raw images but the same as guys who shoot uh, sports a lot you know you don't want to hand over a 45 megapixel raw image to an editor who just wants a large jpeg to be able to you know post something online it's yeah we're not doing billboards we're doing we're doing wire service online stuff so so i'll ask you this now um so obviously you're you're handing off the card you're you're doing the panels you're handing off the card whose photographs are they they're mine i they're they're mine and 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 they belong to picture group as well but i own the copyrights to those if you look at the images they'll have the metadata will say copyright alan hess slash picture group for the rest of it. so those those are mine i own them um and is that something you set at the beginning or is that just an agreement that was an you agreement had we had that... with them it was it was all set you know it's it's they're my images it's i'm just working for them photographing their stuff and okay um now hasbro uh, I've been photographing for Hasbro for three years. Uh, they're a publicity company. 
contacted me three years ago and asked if I could uh, photograph uh, all the things happening with Hasbro at Comic-Con. Turned out that they're actually, there's so much happening with Hasbro at Comic-Con that I, I now start to run a team of photographers uh, for Hasbro. And we cover everything that happens, again, on the expo floor at the Hasbro booth and any panel that Hasbro has um, for the toys. And they every year they do a Marvel panel, they do a Star Wars panel, they do a, a, a Power Rangers panel, a My Little Pony, whatever whatever toy line that they're doing, they usually have a panel to talk to the toy fans about what's coming out. And so we, we cover that in the same manner as you'd cover a, a panel for a, for a movie or a TV show. And it turned out that uh, one person couldn't do it. Um, actually, it turns out that two people can't do it. So I actually have a team. There's five or six of us who um, photograph for Hasbro and I run that team. So um, this last year, it was... Uh we had a we had a great team, um, Mickey Strand, um, who you've probably met at Photoshop World. He's, uh, works, oh, no, Mickey, yeah, he yeah. works with Vincent. He was on the team. Uh, my my friend Jennifer uh, Wingrove, who's actually uh, one of the models I shoot. She's a, a dancer and an aerialist, but she's also a very accomplished uh, photographer. I met her through Joe McNally. Um, she's on the team. My buddy Dan Knighton, who shoots for Getty, and um, his girlfriend Carolyn Stevens, um, they're part of the team. And then my buddy Alex Matthews was uh, on the team this year. And so my job for Hasbro is to schedule those people to be able to cover everything that Hasbro wants covered, which is usually two photographers on at all times throughout the entire four days plus preview night. So, so okay, my, my follow-up question to that then, because I'm sure there are people listening to this who, if they ever get into this sort of environment, this is the thing they're going to need to know. Who then owns the photographs that they're taking? The deal I have with them is they own the photographs that they're taking. Um, and Hasbro has licensing and gets to use them. But the pictures are owned by the photographer. We are not, we're not a rights grab. We're not doing anything else like that. But the agreement no. is that Hasbro can use them for whatever they want to use them because they're paying us to take them. To take them. So you get to keep them. They get to print and use them as much as they want. You, the, the benefit for you is you can still use these images yourself. Subject to intellectual property. Yeah, there's a there's blah, a couple blah, blah. Of, there's yeah. a couple of weird really weird things that can happen. But again, um, we're not putting together uh, we're not going to be putting together a book that's you know Hasbro at Comic Con 2020 or 2019. No one's gonna no one wants to read that or buy that except for the people at no, Hasbro and no. they already have the images, so um, it doesn't really matter. Uh, but it's not our it's it's the photographers that work for me all the images for for that gets copyrighted to the photographer plus Alan has photography because I'm the one dealing with um, the client so the big difference on between Hasbro and Fox is that for Fox I give the cards to someone else and they do all the editing and the sorting and the culling and uh, metadata and, and all the captioning and, and give it to the client for Hasbro that job is mine so all, all the <laughs> all the cards come to me I'm the one who downloads them. I'm the one who has to then sort out what's good, what's bad, what's needed, what's not. Uh, I have to then add the metadata correctly for whichever product line it is. And then I have to get it approved by whichever manager is dealing with that product line through Hasbro and then um, sort out and, and post them up to a wire service uh, that evening. And let's give a quick nod to the software you use because I know you're a big champion of this bit yeah, of software. Yeah, um, Photo Mechanic is, 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 the, is, the, is the gold standard when it comes to doing ingesting and editing. And, and again, this is one of those things we're getting large JPEGs and I'm, I, my photographers get it right in the camera more often than not. So there's very little actual editing going on. 
So everything that I usually do is mainly um, uh, selecting, figuring out what the good photo is, and usually a bit of cropping. And that can all be done directly in Photo Mechanic. Um, once we have a set of images that if they need to be actually tweaked and resized, we'll pull them into, if it's a small group, we'll just pull them in as a batch into uh, Adobe Camera Raw. If it's a big batch at the end of the whole event when I'm doing everything to send to Hasbro, um, I have a, I use Lightroom. Uh, Lightroom Classic. Um, but Photo Mechanic is my, it, it's on my laptop. The cards come in. I get to decide where they go, what the metadata is going in on the ingest. I get to do all kinds of little neat things with uh, Photo Mechanic right off the bat. And I couldn't do this without Photo Mechanic. And it's not just me. that the I know the Fox editors where I'm handing off my cards to them, they're using the same thing. I've been in that that hotel room, which is a kind of a crazy, uh, there's, you know, three or four of them because they have a lot more stuff going on all at the same time. And they're sitting in a room and they're ingesting cards like crazy. And one person's meta, you know, putting in the metadata, one person's editing and cropping and one person's like doing any final edits and outputting all that falls to me for Hasbro. So while most people go to Comic-Con and it runs from about nine fifteen in the morning when the expo floor opens till seven o'clock at night, I'm on the expo floor at uh, eight o'clock in the morning, sitting inside the secret room at the Hasbro booth, uh, editing the pictures and getting set up for the day. And then at seven o'clock at night, I'm sitting in that same little secret room inside the Hasbro booth, uh, making sure all the images are downloaded, all the metadata date is correct and I'm sending selects off to uh, the Hasbro people and then it runs through uh, their heads of the whichever uh, product line they're talking about and then you know they come back and say yes pictures 7, 9, 15 and 22 those are great those will go out for today and then I send those over and those go out on a wire service so there's a lot of work that I'm doing behind the scenes for Hasbro that I don't do for, for Fox and FX and you're doing so what you're saying is you're doing kind of 12 hour days on on a Comic Con week. Oh, I at least twelve hours. Uh, twelve hours there. I'm 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 usually then uh, usually grab a bite to eat. I have friends in town, so usually that's a, a nice um, two hour break for some dinner. And then at night I go back and I'm I'm at home. I am now making sure all the images are backed up to at least two two backup spots. A cloud service. I make sure the memory cards are formatted. I'm like, you know, everything has to be set up for the next day because, you know, six o'clock in the morning, I'm up again, feeding the dogs, jumping on the shuttle back down to uh, the convention center um, to start the whole thing over. Because this is the thing. People say like, oh my God, you're so lucky you get to do this job. Oh, it must be so awesome being up there. They, they don't always realize that you are putting in like a 12-hour shift over there. You're putting in more hours when you get home. You're doing this for four days. It's the planning. It's, you know, and I'm sure you've made some mistakes in the early days, but now you're running a tight, a tighter ship. Um, but yeah, I think people do need to realize that getting this gig might sound really cool, but you also have to put in a damn lot of hard work. And there's a lot of responsibility for you as well because, you, you know, your job is to get these to catch these moments and and you've not got a great deal of time you you've not got like these beautifully lit rooms and carrying like big octa boxes around it's so before we carry on let's just have a quick word from our partners we'd like to thank flown.com for being a partner of he shoots he draws Flown make learning fun and engaging with an extensive library of pro tutorials for Photoshop, Lightroom and photography at all levels of expertise, from beginners to advanced. You can get started on Flown from just $9.95 a month, which gives you access to over 140 tutorials 
covering photo editing, retouching, compositing, software basics, photography and much much more. There's new tutorials every month and you can cancel at any time. For He Shoots He Draws listeners you can use code GETPRO20 that's G-E-T-P-R-O number 20 to get 20% off when you sign up. Check out flern.com today. So let's talk about, while we're on to that, let's talk about the gear quickly. Because obviously if you put in those hours, you're carrying gear around. What did you, when you first started, I mean, what have you, two-part question. When you first started doing it as a hired, as hired hand, what's changed about your gear over that time that you've learned and what are you shooting with now when i first started shooting um i'm an i'm a nikon shooter uh so all the gear is 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 nikon and it has been for many many years i i just that's that's what i've been shooting um i started out i I think it was probably a d2x was probably my first camera which which anyone out there you know remembers that thing it was a great camera until you hit iso like 300 and then it just got noisy and it went up to iso 800 and that was insanely noisy and um it didn't bother the clients as much as it bothered me um but i i, I it took me a while to understand that i wasn't creating art i'm i don't have the time to sit there and post someone and wait for the backgrounds to be absolutely pristine and perfect i don't have time to wait for the light to be just right so i had to learn how to shoot with you know, flash on camera or on a, you know, a flash bracket right there. There's no, ex- I'm not using an Octa. I'm not using an external light source. I, I can't have off camera flash. I don't have assistance. There's no soft boxes or diffusers or, or, you know, any kind of light shaping tools, um, externally from, from what I'm ha- holding in my hand. So I learned how to use a flash on camera, a speed light. Um, there are times I use a, a rogue flash bender to make it look a little better, especially when I was doing the, uh, uh press rooms and we're, you know, basically doing those like passport pictures up against the wall thing i wanted to have the light looking a little uh a little softer uh seemed to work for that yeah not that horrible shadow that you get it was once in a while there, there's a shot that i took where um i was shooting uh and because the recycle time on the flash sometimes misfires the batteries are getting a little low you'll get a shot where your flash doesn't fire but the person next to you does and i got a shot that uh um, was like right in the middle of the sequence and it was like this really beautiful hard shadow but it was coming way off from my right so it looked fantastic and i was like man i wish i could you know set up a a speed light on a light stick over there and do that all the time and it just was a really lucky you know a lucky shot Um, but that's not how it works there's no you you can't bring that kind of gear into this it's shooting in a very tight small environment so i had to learn how to get the best images with the worst kind of flash on camera lighting um, that you could do the other side of it is that the fox booth and the hasbro booth and all these places they use a dramatic lighting to show off their products and the people so uh, one year the fox booth has these leds on this big uh, tower that goes right up in the middle and the leds would change colors randomly so suddenly you have a blue cast in the background and then a green cast and then a red so if you're shooting without the flash properly you're all suddenly all your your subjects are changing color and it you know i got a note from the editors on that one which was uh please you know turn up your flash and overpower the the horrible green cast because everyone's coming out looking like they're really sick so you know we adjust and and you learn and that's kind of uh when I talked to the photographers now who work for me for Hasbro, we sat down and we had a, a meeting. Um, we actually all had dinner together last night, which was really nice. We, we had a post-Comic-Con meeting last night and we were talking about uh, shooting Comic-Con. And the one thing was 
um, that we all agreed on is that you can't, you have to remove that whole, I'm trying to get one perfect frame. That's, that doesn't apply here. You need to get 10 really good ones. Um, but chances are we need 30 good ones because we need to be able to tell the story of the signing. We need the kid in the Spider-Man outfit. We need the, you know, getting the poster. We need the person dressed as the Red Power Ranger meeting the Red Power Ranger. And if that means that you have to take three shots and, you know, that's what you do. And you'll three in a row really fast, you know, get them pop, 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 um, get that work and pick the best one. Well, then I get to pick the best one. Um, so there's a fine line between overshooting. I don't want my photographers to hand me 10,000 images at the end of one day because going through those would be a pain. I also don't want them to give me 50 because they were there for 10 hours, you know, working. I, I need that to be really right. good. They'd have to be, 50, every shot they? would have to be perfect. So there's a fine line between doing that and, and, and the best thing you can do is practice. Um, I got the practice when I wasn't shooting for anyone and I was wandering around Comic-Con. So going back to what we said earlier, if you have a camera and you have a Comic-Con pass, you can go photograph anything you want on the expo floor and you can photograph anything you want at a panel so long as you don't leave your seat. So if you go into a room like I did many years ago and you get a, a, a seat up front and you're sitting there with your camera and your 70 to 200 millimeter lens, you can shoot all the stars all day long on that on that panel and they have great lighting and, and you just have to adjust your white balance a little bit and um you know if, if anyone's out there and they go through my instagram which is just alan hess at instagram you'll see there's photographs of panels going back for years and I, I randomly post them all those were taken just with the available light in the room i just learned how to you know that's part of the concert thing i learned you know iso 1600 and, and learned how to shoot so on the technical side nowadays like i said earlier i use two nikon cameras i use the d850 and the d750 it's a good combination um, and I, depending on who I'm shooting and where I'm shooting, I, either one of them, it, it doesn't really matter, uh, which one I'm going to use. The settings are usually because they're both Nikons and they both produce files that are similar in color and quality. They're both set up the same way. So it doesn't matter which camera I grab, they're set up the way I want them. Uh, the reality is that I usually just use one most of the day, but I'm a paranoid photographer. And so I carry the second one with me in case the first one has an issue. And what lenses have you got on each? Uh, most of the time, uh, the lens I use for 99% of those photos is a 24 to 70 um, standard f2.8 lens, usually shooting at like f5.6 and um, somewhere around, you know, 60, 70 mil. Uh, it's a it's a really standard kind of that's the framing that's the, the what I need when I'm doing um, some of the other things for the booth I have a 16 millimeter fisheye which gives you a nice kind of bizarre look at the at the entire scene and uh, a lot of times I like to go when I have some some time off uh, or I'm not scheduled to shoot which is you know a half hour here an hour there uh, I like to go and photograph uh, toys and um, statues and things from sideshow collectibles and other toy companies so I have a 105 um, macro lens that I take with me sometimes because that lets me get in really close and get some details of. Uh, oh, they so. are great shots because I know you did. We'll put a link in the show notes, but you did a spark page for this year, and uh, I, I know you, there was a section where you did the figures. And it was just like oh, the detail on them is just like you picked out the detail. I mean, the, the models are great, but they were really good shots of the models so for that i use you know i sometimes i will use the 24 to 70 it's a great lens and for other times you know if i have the time and i want to get in really close on something then it's a then it's a 105 macro um the real issue i also have a 70 to 200 in my bag because sometimes we're shooting from further away and because again i'm never sure exactly what i'm going to need i also have an old nikon 20 to 35 in the bag plus a battery pack for my phone plus a laptop plus a power supply plus the cards plus extra memory cards for every camera plus batteries for every camera and by the time i'm done 
Um, I use a, a think tank um, shapeshifter backpack with I'm done. That bag is weighing a lot. It's like military workout over four days. I pick it up in the morning and I'm like, oh my God, this thing is going to be, you know, heavy. And by the time it hits 7 p.m. at night, I'm, I am dragging, you know, and then the next morning I, I keep thinking, what can I take out of this to make my life easier and lighter? And then reality is that by the time I'm, I consider all the things that I have to do and all the things that might happen is I've loaded the bag up with everything that was in it the day before and off I go again, you know, just, just yeah. in case. But uh, the, the new technology, you know, the mirrorless stuff, people, um, you know, have asked if I'm, and I got a lot of questions this year, am I going to change to the mirrorless Nikon system? And uh, the reality is that the, I, I used a, a Z6 for a while. They sent me a, a unit to play with. I loved it. The, the, it was fantastic. It's light. It's a lot lighter than the cameras I have now. Um, but it wasn't going to give me any files that I, that I couldn't get with my current cameras. So um, I'm one of those guys. I'm a working photographer. Um, I have to pay for my gear out of my pocket. So uh, when the current cameras don't capture what I need captured and the new ones will, that's when I'll, I'll trade up. But there was, a, there was a moment, on, especially on the Sunday afternoon, where I was like, my life would be a lot easier right now if my camera weighed a lot less. Because after four days of carrying it around, it's it feels like a, a very heavy camera. That and that that's kind of what I was going to ask. Because aside from doing the job, which we've covered, and you do the the the, the toy models, you also do the cosplay stuff. Get like you go full circle. I know you like to go out, and and that's where I was thinking: can you put all the gear away and just go with a mirrorless? But I know obviously you've got the gear on you. But one of my favourite bits is when you post the images from both san diego comic-con and i think you do WonderCon, which is like its sister company but you go out and get all the cosplay people in the street and they all pose for you and they line up and they're some of my favorite shots because they're what that event is all about yeah there, there, there's a lot of of costume uh costumed people who come to comic-con um you know most people wait for halloween in san diego you only have to wait till july and you can dress up in anything you want and wander around and i love taking pictures of the costume cosplay people um and yeah WonderCon happens in march uh april um every year somewhere in there and it happens up in anaheim and it's the baby cousin to to comic-con it's actually run by the same people uh it's a lot smaller it has a um a lot less people still but it's growing every year it gets bigger uh but the costume people there like to line up outside the convention center in anaheim because there's this fountain and this area where you can line up and take these pictures right in front of the uh, big banners hanging behind you so i uh, I will spend hours out there just literally people will just come right in front of the camera and you can you can photograph cosplayers there all day long and you can do that in Comic-Con too um, I don't have as much opportunity to do that anymore as I used to I used to just kind of wander around uh, in the lobby of the expo floor and just wait for people in costume to come and then I would you know they all wanted to have their picture taken they all want to be seen every one of them is nice about it every one of them I, there's never been anyone who was like no don't take my picture everyone they're there they they want to be seen they're really proud of what they did they're really proud of the costumes they've created so they make great pictures and they'll pose and they'll try to get into poses like the character um, my favorite one from this year was um, it was across the road from the convention center as I'm walking up Fifth Avenue downtown San Diego convention centers behind me there's this kid dressed as Spider-Man hanging out on top of one of the power transformer boxes on the corner of the street and there's people just walking by him you know not paying any and he's posing the entire time you know I pulled up the camera I started taking pictures of him he started giving me all the Spider-Man poses he was just having a blast being Spider-Man you know 
on this power box in the in the side of the street for hours. That was his that was his convention experience. And the beauty is, like I've seen on Comic Con, which I think is really cool, is it could have been Tom Holland. It's I've seen a couple of things where people have been walking around in in costume, which you know what a perfect thing to do if you were a star of a franchise and you want to get a vibe for Comic Con. The best thing to do is just dress up in as a character. And walk around. I know um, the guy from Breaking Bad yeah, did, it, did it, and Brian Cranston did it, and I know uh, Andrew Garfield did it. Uh, I've seen a couple of other people dress as other characters and walk around. Now, the thing I always find fishy with that is there's usually a cameraman nearby. <laughs> And it's, it's kind of like those reality shows where they go, and we're going to go back and visit them and see how they got on. They knock on the door and they go, oh, what a surprise to see you. And there's a cameraman already in the house filming the door being opened. <laughs> so so I'd always be suspe- I'd always be like, if someone's got a camera and one of those people dressed up, I'd be thinking there's a reason for that. I'm going to hang around. <laughs> well, the thing, the thing about Comic-Con is that there's cameras everywhere. There are news crews and people walking around filming stuff all the time. So it, it's actually the, probably the one place you can get away with it because everything is being filmed constantly. There's people who are like, uh, me working for someone. There's people like me years ago just walking around trying to find something interesting to shoot. And there's just people, you know, who who think that it's fun to film their buddy dressed as, you know, Conan or um well Brian Cranston's a great example. He dressed as himself. He 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 wore a breaking bad mask and a hat and he basically dresses himself and then the Breaking Bad they were having a panel and he walked out and took off the mask at the Breaking Bad panel and people lost their minds because they had met him and like, ig- oh my god I just saw him yeah, outside and they ignored him because it was just another guy dressed you know from Breaking Bad but it turned out to be him and there's there's other stars I think Elijah Wood um, did it one year of Spider-Man I think he walked around and one, one of those guys did it and, and like a week after Comic-Con or like the Sunday night you know they post a picture of him without the mask on as Spider-Man in the middle of Comic-Con and you know no one paid any attention to him he got to walk around some of the people can't walk around you can't enjoy it anymore because you are too famous um, yeah you know this but yeah. not, not like me but like Tom, like Tom <laughs> Cruise was there this year um, for probably Top Gun whatever the new one is that's coming out yeah Top Gun 7 yeah, Top- <laughs> Yeah, Top Gun, <laughs> The Return. Um, and because Top Gun was filmed in San Diego and has a lot of San Diego roots, the original movie, it's it's a big one. And I never saw him. I never went to look for him. But we, you hear this rumor spreading through the, you know, through the floor. Oh, Tom Cruise, is, you know, and areas get shut down because he literally can't walk anywhere without being mobbed by people who want to take his picture, want to autograph, want to touch him, want to smell him. I, I don't know why people do that, but they do. And, and you know, that happens. Um, so if you're, if you're famous to a level where you can't walk around, anymore then you either have to go in costume or you have to have security walk you around which can be kind of a, a drag um you know yeah the, the and that's understandable because you know not not to go not to go too far down a dark path but you just don't know who these people are and you can't have eyes on everybody all the time so you've got to protect your hundred million pound movie star from being jumped on or battered and, and injured not not that tom cruise needs that because he batters and injures himself filming <laughs> but so talk, so thinking about that 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 side of it what are your best bits about comic-con like taking the taking the job aside what are kind of your highlights what what enjoyment do you still get from comic-con knowing that like you were back there in 1984 it's grown massively 
are there still bits that you still like to like go and have an Alan moment and go and geek out somewhere or go and look at something? Yeah, my my moments are still back with the comic book creators. I'm I'm a big fan of comic books. I still am. Um, we've we've been talking about this over the while. I, I have. Uh, I still have um, the remnants of my comic book collection when I had a comic book collecting problem. Um, I went to uh, Comic Books Anonymous and kicked the problem. But uh, <laughs> back in the late 80s, early 90s, and, and up until probably 2000 and something, I was buying comic books every week. Nowadays, I still buy one or two when, I, when there's something I really want to see. But I don't, have, uh, I don't have the same interest as I used to in that. With that being said, is I have still have a lot of friends in the comic book industry, and I still really like comic book art. Uh, I really enjoy seeing how people portray the characters on the page. Um, I'm in awe of people who can draw uh, I, I just, oh, it's incredible yeah. oh, incredible you know anyone i've got all the old 70s stuff and i i love the old you know kirby and oh, um, just... stanley stuff but that i mean the new artwork now is i don't know how they find the time to make a comic book so graphic and get them out on re- with regularity yeah. well technology has helped i mean there's a lot of guys who are using uh adobe products and and wacom tablets and and um but you know it, to see how it works and, and to see the sketches, uh, like, like Jim Lee will do a sketch of Batman and then he hands it over to a guy named Scott Williams who does the inking and, you know, puts in all the, the actual black lines. And then it goes to, um, my buddy Alex Sinclair who does all the colors and then it's done and it takes, you know, three people and it takes a, a period of time and it, and it goes from a, an idea and a sketch to a full blown piece of art is a fascinating uh, thing to watch. And the collaboration on it is, is, to me, one of the most amazing things when you get guys who mesh together, you know, make a great team. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll say it, like you and Glenn, you know, you guys, when you make a great team together, the stuff that comes out at the end is greater than any of the little single parts in it. And to see that in the comic book industry, to me, is still one of the greatest things that I get to witness. And so I get to go. Uh, and when I have my free time and I plan my time off, I go to Artist Alley. I like to go and visit and see what people are creating and what the new guys are creating. And I go to small press areas to see what, what those guys who don't have a giant multimedia conglomeration behind them are trying to put out and what they're trying to create and how they're doing it. And to me, that's still uh, an amazing thing to witness. And I, I think a lot of it is because I'm a photographer and I'm hustling every day to try to get my images out there to see the guys who are doing it. But it's not one two hundredth of a second to create an image. It's 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 a week, you know. It, it, there's a lot of there's a lot of skill in there. And um, you know, and that being said, you've actually had a, a couple of guests on your show that have that have been at Comic Con presenting. Um, you had uh, Paul Shipper. Oh yeah, Paul Shipper uh, recently, um, and and he actually did his first panel this year. I want to give him a shout out to him because he did a movie poster art panel, which was the first time they did it, and he got a bunch of like really varied great movie and 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 i was just gonna say like you like comic books i love movie poster art um going like drew struzan back in the day and say paul put on this panel and there's there was another guy on there orlando who i know who used who he does it all in illustrator bizarrely but um yeah and that that fascinates me and i know he's been to comic-con a few times because he's obviously done the posters for star wars and right and and seeing that artwork is again that's to me that becomes 
a real I'm, I'm a real fan of that and and as we touched on earlier i also like to look at the little plastic toys and things you know so good thing i work yeah. at Hasbro. I, I really enjoy um getting photographs of them and and i have uh this good thing it's not a video podcast but on my in my office at home i have lots of little stuff from comic-con i have little t- trinkets and um and things but uh there's another guest you had who actually has presented at comic-con too that's lisa carney she she was uh yes she she did a panel at comic-con a couple of years ago and uh when we were at max last year i saw her name tag from comic-con on her desk still up there you know it's got the comic-con logo oh, lisa wow. carney and i was like yeah that's you see i've i've never presented there so I, I don't have one of those desk and it's just a folded piece of paper with your name on it with a little comic-con logo on the top but it's cool yeah. see, those are the kind of things that are like man that's that's really yeah. and Lisa's just I mean Lisa's awesome I know uh, we will see her at Adobe Max but it was funny because when we interviewed Lisa I'd all, I and I have mentioned this before I think in her interview but um I'd got to know Paul Shipper through a mutual friend but never met him we'd, we'd interacted a couple of times on social but that was it and we hadn't even got round to a to actually interviewing him it hadn't even like come on the radar yet and I remember Lisa saying uh, for what she does with the Hollywood art is obviously it's a different kind of retouching. She sometimes gets the not she gets the turd to polish or she get or she gets a great piece of art that she just has to finish off um, and make it look absolutely right. And then she just like, threw away comment and said, and then the days when you haven't got the great images and you can't get that, you just get Paul Shipper to do it. And if you and if you look at if you're listening to this and you haven't heard any other episodes, go and Google Paul Shipper, um, and Google Drew Struzan S T R U Z A N, um, because Paul will openly admit he's like from, he's carrying the baton on from Drew. But that that kind of artwork, both what Lisa does and Paul does, are both part of the experience of the film you know the, the, these posters are iconic one of drew's famous ones is back to the future paul did an anniversary one of back to the future those those poster images those comic book covers are as iconic and as much of that experience as the content themselves yeah and that's that's still you know and that's a big part of it and i was uh i really i had i had paul's panel in my calendar and i was watching I was watching the other stuff fill up around it and I was like, oh, this is, you know. So what happens is um, the, the other side of the Comic-Con for me and the part that doesn't happen during the convention is the planning. I have to schedule all the stuff and um, the most frustrating part of Comic-Con for me and probably everyone who goes is that the schedule is never fully released until about a week or two before Comic-Con. So, so everything is like we get prepped, we get prepped and then suddenly here's – Wednesday night schedule. It's preview night, so there's not a whole lot going on. Like, all right, cool. All right, here's Thursday's schedule. And it's like, man, there's all this cool stuff happening on Thursday. And then, then like two days later, like here's Friday's schedule. And then two days later, here's Saturday's schedule. And then it's like, man, you, and, and you, you know, thank God they give it to you in smaller pieces because it would be totally overwhelming if it all came out on the same day. But then I have to take all that and I have to try to organize who's going to be photographing at the booth at the same time. Where do I have to be for the other job? And this year we also did some stuff for Godzilla. So we had a, 
I had to get a photographer who was going to be covering a mural for Godzilla, and we and it, it gets uh, it gets crazy. So I have this spreadsheet, um, and if you know me, me and spreadsheets are like that's oil and water. It's I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy. I'm not a happy spreadsheet guy. Um, but I had this spreadsheet that was like seven different color codes for you know what had to happen, and I'm sitting there like a week before Comic Con, and I'm trying to make sure everyone is covered and. And, you know, Hasbro has the photographers they need covering panels, covering signings, covering, you know, this. And they send me their schedule. And then, you know, I, I, I sit there and I, I dread the day, you know, where like, is, are they going to change anything up on me on Tuesday before, before, you know, Wednesday's kickoff. And then Wednesday afternoon, I'm, I'm down there and I have a, a, a pre um, Comic-Con meeting with Hasbro and I get all the final updates and then I contact my team and I'm like, we're good to go, you know, and, and then every day I have this big sheet of paper where I'm trying to make sure everyone's at the right thing and trying to be both a manager and a photographer and enjoy myself. So it's a lot of hard work, but the one thing that I want everyone to understand is that I, I love it. And if, if next year, um, because Disney has now bought Fox and Hulu and all those people and something changes and I suddenly I'm not working for any one of those. I will still be a Comic-Con in July of 2020. Uh, I, I might not be working for anyone. I might just be back to being a wire service, but I will still be there all four days and preview night. And I will still be, you know, geeking out and, and having a lot of fun because this is the one job that I have. And it's, it's a job right now, but it's the one job I have that um, I would still be going even if I wasn't working. And I, and I think that's a testament to like everything you've just said there. I mean, they must love you for the for that kind of effort that you put in and they know you can, they can trust you and and i think it's hard to find the right kind of people in those kind of jobs because i know from your music side you've like the horror stories you've told from being in the pit and shooting music that in this this kind of line of work over these four days with the kind of people you're dealing with is you have to hone that craft you have to be on the money like you say you're managing the team and the fact that you can still enjoy it and not see it as a chore like you just hold the camera and look away at snap is the fact that you would still go back i think is a you know just shows that you've got you've got i know glenn doesn't like the word passionate but i think you've got you've got to have that sense of passion and joy about that world to know how to get the best out yeah, of it. This, this again, this again started as a, as, as really started as kind of a personal project. I mean, uh, when I first started taking pictures at Comic-Con, I wasn't really hired by anyone to do it. I just, I just started bringing my camera and realizing that I could photograph stuff while I was there. So the first couple of years, um, it, it's my friends walking around and walking down the street and sitting and having a beer beforehand and sitting and having a beer after, you know, um, there's two photographs I take every single year. I don't post them as much as I used to, but there's a photograph I take on a Wednesday uh, with my photo uh, pass uh, with my um, Comic Con with my Comic Con credential in front of a full beer, uh, usually at a bar called the Field, because we, we that's kind of where we always used to go and have uh, pre. And I've been yeah, there with been you. There. I've been there. I know. It, <laughs> yeah. I know that pub. So so we. I love the Field. So we. Um, so there's always on Wednesday uh, afternoon. Act, to be really honest, it's usually Wednesday at night after the 
after I've worked because I tend to drink after I work, not before. Um, so there'll be a, a photograph of a full beer with my Comic-Con credential. And then Sunday night when I'm done, uh, usually at about seven o'clock on Sunday when I'm finally <laughs> lugging my gear up the hill um, from the convention center, I stop in at the field and um, I have one more harp. And then I take a photograph of an empty beer and that's Comic-Con has started and Comic-Con has ended. And that's kind of, um, that's kind of my week. Do you know why I remember the field? Is because that's the pub we were sitting in where we saw the Cubs win the World Series. Yeah, yeah we were. We were. Yeah, I, I was like, because the one thing you should always do is when you have someone from Britain coming to San Diego, you should take them to have British, you know, Irish food. <laughs> that's yeah. right. Yeah. You know. I'm away from home. Where can I go? Let's go and find a place that is. Uh, cheesily like something from england that's interpreted by an american hey, uh, no. was it was an actually a, 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 it was a, a restaurant pub in ireland that was dismantled in ireland and rebuilt in san diego that that interior actually comes from ireland but yeah it was one of those moments where you're like have hey, all the places to take dave in san diego let's go to the one that's you know closest to what he can get at home but it was funny because i remember we were sitting outside i know we're going off track and we got to finish in a minute but um I remember sitting outside and this lad was walking down the street and he had a foot, he had a soccer shirt on from an English, like a very random English team to an American. And it was a team that I used to go and watch as well. I remember I, I shouted the thing out to him and it sort of stopped him in his tracks and we had a little chat about football and he carried on and obviously all the back. Do you know what? I nearly said I was there the night the Cubs won the Super Bowl. That's a little I know about American sport. But we we won't go off on a tangent on that um that my last question for you is uh as a as a fan i mean where with with san diego comic-con getting as big as it's got i mean where do you think it can go from here could it could it become too big or could it break off and become two events could it do you think it can change in any way because like you said it's taken over san diego there's a museum opening up i think uh I saw is what do you think over the next sort of kind of five years the future of Comic Con can bring? Every, every year they have the discussion of has Comic Con got too big? Does Comic Con need to move? Um, there's always talk of, of moving from San Diego to Anaheim, which has a bigger convention, or LA, or Vegas, or somewhere else. Uh, and to me, I keep thinking, well, if they take the San Diego Comic Con and move it to you know, Las Vegas, then it, then it's not the San Diego Comic-Con anymore. It's now the Las Vegas Comic-Con and someone else will start, you know, the comic book convention of San Diego if they can't use the Comic-Con name. You know, there's a reason that San Diego is is this, um, the event is so large here. It's A, the weather is beautiful. It's a great place to visit. It's close enough to LA that they can bring down all the people they need to, but it's not in LA. So it doesn't have some of those issues. Um, you know, we were at, we were at Max at the Staples Center. You could see Comic-Con being there but man it, it would be very expensive to stay the traffic would be a nightmare you know san diego has a lot going for it um on that side of it um with that being said if it keeps going this the way it is now um they're gonna have to uh sell less tickets maybe they're gonna have to um use more areas you know it i think right now i think this last year it was probably at a, a decent capacity i didn't find it as crowded as previous years i thought that the way it was spread out to the hotels and, and side events i thought was a really good uh there was a good flow i could walk uh, between the booths that i needed to get to without um too much of a problem there weren't too many traffic jams um it's it's part of it uh i 
I I sometimes wax nostalgic about the days where there's only five thousand people, and you know it was it was I could sit there and talk to a comic book creator for half an hour about his latest work, and I remember uh, distinctly one of the old ones where I met Mike Grell, who did these uh, um, Green Arrow comic books called the Longbow Hunters, and they had these beautifully painted oil painting covers, and they it really spoke to me, and I got to meet him, and he signed them, and was at this con- you know a convention, and I think you know what I can do that now. I know it seems like, oh, there were so few people with so much. Right now, I could walk up to Artist Alley and you can walk up to, to a lot of the artists who are sitting there and, and you can have them. Um, they will tell you all about the artists. You can have them draw stuff for you. They'll sign stuff for you. They'll do commissions. It's still there. You just have to know where to look and you have to decide, I don't really care where Tom Cruise is. I'm going to go look at the artists. And I think that that, if they just keep it the way they've been doing it for the last couple of years, I think it runs really, really well. I think they've got it down to, to a thing where it's going really, really well. He Shoots, He Draws is sponsored by x X-Rite bring you the very best professional colour management tools in the industry, offering you the flexibility you need to easily achieve precise colour every time. Check out the brand new i1 Display Studio and i1 Display Pro Plus, both enabling you to calibrate and profile desktop monitors, laptops, projectors and mobile devices for consistent, accurate colour. Each device uses its own simple and clear interface, giving you the most control and confidence that you'll always get the most accurate colours, the best blacks, shadows and dark colours with consistent monitor-to-print matching. Save time, money and frustration by using x professional calibration tools. He Shoots, He Draws listeners can get 25% off by visiting xrightphoto.eu and using the code COLOR25. That's C-O-L-O-U-R-2-5. Well, I'm going to try and find an excuse to be in San Diego next July, if I possibly can. <laughs> um, because it's definitely something I'd like to experience. And and so it's one of those things that oh, I mean, we were texting yesterday because I dug out a box of old comic books that I had. And it was one of about four boxes that I've got. And... You know, I started with comic books. It then became like the sci-fi TV series, and it became the films. But I'm still got, I've still got that little bit of old school about me that I would like. I like to go and talk to people. And now I know I can't do it on the movie side. I can't go and have a 20 minute conversation with Seth MacFarlane about, you know, what he does. But I know I can go down and chat to an artist for half an hour and talk about his art and his craft and you know the, the kind of things that he's worked on. So, so it's something I'm looking forward to. I've done a couple over here. Um, right, I, I'm going to stop now because we are at a good time. We've, I think, I honestly do think that this third attempt was the best version we've done. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> um, I want to thank you for your time, Alan. I'm, um, I'm actually coming out to San Diego to stay with you at the end of October. I'm going to be there for my birthday again. Um, and we're going to be going to Adobe Max. We're both doing a bit, got a TA gig. Um, so that'd be nice to catch up with people. So it's, and it'd be not, lovely to spend time with you and, and the dogs, cause I'm sure they've missed me. Um, but yeah, thank you very much, Alan. Um, I will put in the show notes, the link to some of the things we've spoken about to your previous episode where they can find out more about you and your actual like day job. Um, but yeah, for now, thank you. And, uh, 
and we'll speak soon. Most of the stuff is under alanhessphotography.com. Um, oh, yes. You're different on the social yeah, media, aren't you? I was one of those late to the game, so I didn't, didn't realize that you should probably use the same name on everything. So uh, it's alanhessphotography.com is the website. Um, but Instagram is alanhess, A-L-A-N-H-E-S-S, all one word. And then Twitter, because I had to be different. Again, it's Shot Live Photo, which is S-H-O-T-L-I-V-E-P-H-O-T-O. And... Um, uh, but Instagram, a, a lot of times the, the, the Comic-Con stuff uh, tends to float up on Instagram or I, I did do an Adobe Spark page on this last one. That's on my website um, because that's – I like to go through sometimes I'll have – you know, we were talking and I'm suddenly like, oh, man, I remember that from – and go back to 2008 or 2000 and start looking through some of the images, you know, that I shot back then. I haven't seen them in 10 years and, oh, man, I, I, I honestly – I posted a picture of Seth MacFarlane the other day from an American Dad panel I talked about earlier. I didn't remember shooting that at all. I remembered all the other ones around him and I suddenly I see these pictures of him pop up in the middle and I had to sit there and rack my brain for 10 minutes trying to think why was he in that room at that time? You know, what was, what was I doing? What was, you know, and then suddenly I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. American Dad was part of that FX kind of uh, lineup that year. And um, so yeah, uh, that's Instagram is where you'll find me that stuff. But Dave, looking forward to seeing you in person uh, later this year. I know. Me too. Me too. It's going to be a good couple of weeks. We've got a couple of events. In fact, I think there's another event in San Diego called Pop-Up Crop, which is the one I'm I'm going to after Mac. So I'm absolutely looking forward to that. So for now, uh, we're going to say ta-ra, say thank you very much, and uh, speak to you soon. Speak to you later.